All right, let's pray for this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, and that it's sharp than a double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. We're continuing Matthew chapter 12. We'll be in verses 38 through 42 this morning. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment of this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. What's going on in this story? Well, uh, it feels like we've been in chapter 12 for a couple months because it's just sermon after sermon. So here's another one. Uh, Jesus has been doing ministry and then the Pharisees come up. The Pharisees are like the religious ruling class. And so uh, the Pharisees come up and they're like, hey, man, we'd like to know a sign. Like, can you show us a sign to show us that you're uh, God in the flesh? And Jesus goes, you know, man, you're about to get a sign. And the sign is the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah is very simple. Jonah uh, told the people of Nineveh to repent. That's the sign that y'all are going to get. And he's using the example. He says, in the same way that, and if you guys don't know the story about Jonah and the whale, it was a story about this guy named Jonah who got swallowed by a fish. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He didn't go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish. And so then he was in the boat and they threw him off and he got swallowed by a belly of a whale. And then he was in there for three days. And so then... Um, Jesus used this as an example and say he was in the belly of the fish for three days and then he came out and, and he's alluding to the crucifixion and saying, I'm going to go into the ground for three days and then I'm going to come back out. And when I come back out, that's going to be the sign and you guys are just going to be told to repent. Like that's, that's, what, you're, that's what you're getting. Um, and then he, uh, he talks about how, uh, that he's greater than Jonah because of who he is. And then he uses the example of the queen of Sheba and how the queen of Sheba had gone to King Solomon to find out about his wisdom. And then he says, I'm greater than King Solomon as well, as far as my wisdom is concerned. Um, I titled the message today, the goat. Uh, and the reason why we titled it, Jesus is the goat. And if you don't know this term, uh, the, the goat is the greatest of all time. Jesus isn't a goat. He is the goat. And I know it's kind of like some, you know, modern language that the Bible doesn't use, but it, it paints the picture of what the sermon is about, which is basically Jesus is the greatest of all times. Um, if, if you are like me, I would assume at some point, every single one of us have tested God. Either we tested him with our mouth or our actions We've prayed prayers that we wanted to use as a test to see if God was real or if he would move. And what, what, I, what I'm hoping that you'll get out of this message today is that you don't need to put God to the test. He's already given you a sign. Jesus is the greatest, and you just need to give your life to him. Amen. Uh, I, I know that sometimes it seems as though uh, the message is a broken record. It's because the Bible is a repeating story over and over. Uh, we can't help it. We, I can't make the Bible say what it doesn't say. The sign of Jonah is repentance. So what are we talking about? Repentance. Seems to be a theme that's going through the preaching a lot. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us something. So let's get into this thing. Jesus didn't have to give these guys proof because he was the goat. Verse 38 and 39. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, 
We want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now on many occasions, Jesus had in fact given them many proofs. For those of you that attended Sunday school, you might remember some of these stories, water into wine, healing the sick, raising the dead, uh, uh, walking on water, fulfilling prophecy. It, It wasn't apparently enough for these Pharisees. And so uh, this is their MO. Like Jesus keeps doing things and they refuse to respond. They refuse to admit that Jesus is the Messiah. They refuse to admit that he's God in the flesh. If if we refer back, and you don't have to turn there, I'm going to tell you about it really quick. In, In John chapter nine, there was this man who was born blind and he was healed by Jesus. And the response of the Pharisees in this instance, in this story, was that they challenged the fact that this guy was actually healed. And then they actually went so far as to challenge the guy's parents. This guy had been born blind. Jesus heals him. The Pharisees, because they refused to accept any sign that Jesus gives, then attacks this guy and goes, were you really blind? And then they go to his parents like, was he blind from birth or were you guys just doing this big ruse? Uh, and that's just what they do. And, and so the reason why they do that is for one reason and one reason only. They want to discredit Jesus. They want to discredit who he is. They said in John 9, 28, this says, Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, the one that heals the sick and raises the dead and walks on water, we do not know where he is from. And so what Jesus says to these guys, he says, an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. An adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And he's, and he's using this word language of adulterous because adultery and that word adulterous always has to do with a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. That's what we use for the word adultery. And so when, when Jesus is using this word with the Jewish people, he's drawing back on Old Testament scriptures by that statement in that the story of us, the story of us as our faith is the story of Jehovah God. Israel was his bride, right? That was their relationship. And so when Israel turned against them, Jesus, or excuse me, God said, you have become an adulterer. You have, you become, and he uses the word whore. Like he uses that kind of language to signify like you're serving other gods. You're going against me. We were married and I was your husband and I'm issuing a certificate of divorce. I mean, it's, it's marriage language all throughout the old Testament. New Testament's the same thing, right? The church is his bride, right? Christ is the bridegroom. And and that relationship is all throughout from old to new Testament. That's the story. And so when Jesus is saying this to these Jewish people, an adulterous sign seeks after, uh, or excuse me, adulterous generation seeks after a sign. He's saying, you know what? You people like, this is what you do. Like you turn your hearts towards God and you become an adulterer because you refuse to see the signs that God is already showing you, which should already be enough to get you to follow him. The Jews of the Old Testament had many signs, right? I mean, they had the manna in the desert. They had the party in the Red Sea. They saw heads of axes float. They saw donkeys speak. They saw walls come down. They saw the sun stand still. They saw people healed. They, they saw a bunch of stuff. And then that still wasn't enough. People's hearts in the Old Testament still turned, turned away from God. And they went and they uh, uh, served uh, false idols and false gods because that's the nature and character of humans, 
It's what we do. If It's never enough. We just like, eh, you know, I'm bored with this thing. I'm, I'm moving on to something else. And so Jesus knew the heart of men and he, he calls them out on it. He says, you want, you guys are a bunch of adulterers, man, asking for a sign. He said, man, how many more signs do you actually need, bro? Like, do you already forget what I've already done for you already? Has, has your heart already turned that quickly? How many miracles do you need to see? 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. And so he says, all right, you want a sign? I got one for you. The sign is the sign of Jonah. That's what you get. You want it? You wanted a sign? I gave you a bunch of signs. But now the only thing that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Now, going back to that story uh, about uh, Jonah, Jonah was a guy and God told Jonah, he said, I need you to go to Nineveh. These people are wicked and they need to turn away from their sins. And so Jonah's like, okay, I'll go to this other town instead, (laughs) right? Go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, I'll go to Tarshish. That's where I'm going to go. Ends up on this boat. The boat is like rocking and it's going to, and all these guys are on the boat like, what's going on? Why are we going to die? And Jonah's like, it's me. I was being disobedient. Toss me off and you guys will all live. Tosses him off the boat. Big fish comes and swallows up Jonah. Jonah sits in the belly of this fish, this whale, for three days. Then he gets burped up on the, out of his belly. And then he's like, okay, all right, I got this now. Now I'll go to Nineveh. <laughs> and then when he goes to Nineveh, He just goes, he says, hey, you guys from Nineveh, you guys are wicked. Turn from your wicked ways and turn towards God. And they're like, okay. And then they just turn away from their wicked ways. And then they just follow God. They, they repented just because Jonah went and told them that they need to turn away. And so, so Jesus is, he's speaking specifically about Jonah while simultaneously speaking symbolically about what's going to happen. Because I, I don't think that everybody kind of understood what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was going to look like. And so he was saying like, I'm going to go down into the ground. It was a tomb for three days. And then I'm going to come back out. And when I come back out of that tomb, you're going to get the same thing that Jonah said when he came out of the belly of the whale. Yeah. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. You want a sign? That's going to be the sign. When, when this dude came out of the belly of the whale and you're like, the dude from came from the belly of the whale is telling us to repent? Bros, we better do this. So when I get burped out of the earth and I come out of the tomb, come back from the grave, I'm going to say the exact same thing as Jonah said. That's the sign. You guys want a sign? I'm done with the miracles. The sign is repent. Turn from your wicked ways. What does it mean to us? Are you holding Jesus hostage because of something he hasn't done for you? And people do this often. They, they, they put a limit on what they will respond to God. They, 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 and then you say, well, I haven't done that. I'm like, yes, you have. You, you've said it in your mind and you've said it in your heart and you've said it in your actions where you say, well, I'll do this when God does this. I'll stop doing this when God does this. And, and my life will change when God gives me this. I just need another sign. I, I need more. He hasn't done enough yet. If, he, if he'll give me another sign, then I'll serve him. Then I'll say he's the son of God. Then I'll say that he needs to be submitted to, but nah, not, not until I get that sign that I, that I really need. I, I, I want more proof. 
There's just not enough proof. And friend, I've seen it more times than I can count. Where people don't serve Jesus because of something that's happened to them. Or they don't serve Jesus because something hasn't happened yet for them. Now what's even more wicked is that I've seen many times where God actually gives that person what they want. And it's still not enough for them to turn towards Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'm so lonely. Send me a spouse. And you get a spouse and it's like, why haven't you been in church, man? Well, you know, we've been real busy. Oh, for this child I prayed for. Why haven't you been in church? Well, you know, we got a new kid. He's been real busy. What? And then maybe I'm, maybe I, I, I just don't get it. Because I don't live in that world. I just don't, Right? I mean, we had our son. Well, we didn't. She did. I was there. I was cheering her on. (laughs) I think Gabe was born on a Wednesday. He got dedicated on a Sunday in church. Friday, we were at Sears looking at power tools. Like I had Gabe. I was walking him down. There's a video. I was like, Gabe, check out this compound miter saw. Boy, you love this. (laughs) The second day, we're sitting at home and we're like, so what do we do with him? And we're like... I don't know, go and do stuff. We threw him in the car seat and went out and started living life. We didn't sit at home and go, we're going to watch him grow for a year. They'll sleep anywhere you go. They'll eat when they're hungry. They'll cry, put them in the closet, and shut the door. You know? It's an adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. It's an adulterous generation that continues to seek after a sign. It says, God, I know that I prayed for this and you gave it to me and I know you did this. But things have changed since then. And now I'm going to make the bar high again. I'm going to give you something else that you need to do in my life. Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Are you tempting and testing God? I'll tell you, some of the worst theology out there is the theology that says, well, God could stop me if he wanted to. God, God would, if God wasn't blessing me and I wasn't supposed to, he would stop me from doing this. Then people do this. They get in the car and they're like, well, if you don't want me to go to the strip club, make sure the car doesn't start. Well, you know, car started. If you want me to make this happen. No, no, no. Don't test God like that. Don't say, well, you know, I'll stop doing this once you do this in my life. No way. See, the the lie is, is that people say, well, you know, God wouldn't be using me if I, if I wasn't in a good place. No, 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 no. See, God is loving and gracious and merciful and he will use a sinful, broken person because he loves people. Look in the Bible, look at Samson. Samson thought he was still walking with God and he used it as a justification. Like, well, I don't have to live a certain way because look at me, God is still, and he was wicked. He was wrong. God will use wicked people to be able to do things within his people because he cares more about people. He'll deal with that other person eventually. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to have some external thing and be like, well, God wouldn't be using me if I, if I still had this nastiness in my life. He's like, no, he'll still use you. He'll just publicly rebuke you later and it'll be embarrassing. So deal with it now. It's not God's approval. So we don't question God. We just trust him through the process. Even when we don't understand what God is doing and why he takes so long. 
Because here's what happens is that if, if we're always putting a, a demand on God and saying, change this or give me a sign, and then it doesn't happen, then your heart turns hard. And any relationship where you have a hardened heart is a relationship that can't work very effectively. We do this in our own personal relationships and we say, well, I want this from somebody and then I'll start loving them when they do this or I'll start serving them when they do this. And then your heart just gets hard. And then a hardened heart isn't a squishy heart and it doesn't really do good things. And so it's the same thing with our relationship with God. And so they harden their hearts towards God. They justify their actions of their sin and say, well, you know, God never gave me a sign. So that's it. I'm just going back to the filth. I'm going back to what I came from. But here, here's, here's why people demand a sign. And it's, it's the same thing that these Pharisees did. They have no intention of changing. They have no intention. The Pharisees had no intention of actually following Jesus. They just used this sign ruse as a way to say, well, we're just going to keep moving the goalposts so that a time after that, well, that was a good one, but let's see another one, huh? Let's, let's just see another. Can you imagine living in a time where someone constantly changed the goalpost? It's another thing. Anyway, <laughs> consequently, somehow people are amazing as a, at excuses. Have you noticed this in other people? (laughs) Other people that you may know that are just, you're like, gosh, they're really good at making up excuses that justify why they don't make changes in their lives. They are so good at those things. Are you guys picking up what I'm dropping? I'm talking about you. You're the one that makes the excuses. Now, I'm going to tell you something about myself. And I'm, and I'm, you know, when I tell you these things, hopefully I tell you enough things that I fail that when I tell you something that you don't feel that I'm up here grandstanding, like, Whoa, look at me, but it's just the reality, man. Sometimes it's the reality. I got saved when I was 15 years old. Okay. And when I got saved, dude, I got saved. I like, God oh, he did something. He did something. And just even thinking about it 30 years ago, I'm just like, that week it was fire. That week was fire. Shelly was there that week. It was awesome. She was my camp counselor. And, uh, and God changed me that week, man. And, and I, man, I live a charmed life. I, I have great, I have a great family and, you know, a car that runs and I eat well, obviously. And, but I, but I've never been that person that says, God, would you do this? And then I'll really start serving you. I've never done that. And it seems like every time I do, there's been times when my heart has changed and I kind of get in this place where I'm like, well, if you do this for me, then I, and then I just, I dial it back. I'm like, no, God, the cross was enough. Oh, when I came to you, I didn't ask for anything else. I didn't say, give me this life or give me these things or, or I just, all I wanted you when I, when I got down on my knees in the dirt and I said, I want you, Lord, that was enough. And I only want you to be enough. And that's where hearts need to be. I don't, I don't understand. Like what was, what was your salvation experience? Were Were you trying to save your marriage? Were you trying to make your kids obedient? Were you trying to get a job? Were you trying to have some sort of significance in your life? Were you trying to end your addiction? Like, I don't know what got you saved. What got me saved is I realized that I needed a savior. I was wicked. 
And, and so because that was the beginning of my relationship with Jesus, it's just sustained me throughout my life where I'm just not a guy that goes to God and says, well, if you do this for me, then I will. And so frankly, I get a little bit frustrated with people that do that because I'm like, man, what happened? Like what, what, what happened with you at the cross for us, for me changed me enough that I was like, man, this is enough. Think, think about this. Jonah had to go in the belly of a whale for three days to figure it out. I don't know what, I don't know what it's going to take for us, but like, I don't want to have to go into a belly for three days. I'd rather just go to Nineveh. I'd rather just do the right thing and not have to sit in the belly of a whale and be like, how did I end up in this? Cause you're disobedient, dummy. I wonder what went on in Jonah's brain while he's in the belly of this whale. Like, how did I end up here? Well, you got three days to think about it while you're in there. And hopefully, you know, he had some sort of ideas about his disobedience and saying, you know what, man, maybe I should have just listened the first time. Well, you know, we uh, have an answer to what uh, Jonah thought because it's in Jonah 2.8. Those who regard Thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. That's what he said when he was in the belly. He was like, you know what, man? Get me out of this belly and I will pray. I will pay what I vowed. I said I would do it for God. I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go do what he asked me to do. And I'm sorry, Lord. I don't think he said this. This is Matt version. I'm sorry it took me going into the belly. But when I get out, I'm going to do what you said. And so for, for, for you, for us, man, it's like, can you stop saying and setting the bar for God so high that you're just like, you're only as good as your last worship service. Oh man, worship was so good last week. This week I ain't worshiping you because these people ain't lit like last week. Man, if the pastor just preach a good sermon, if he, if he could preach a sermon that I really needed to get me to where I needed to be, you know, until that sermon comes, I'm just kind of status quo. Man, frankly, like, and I've been pastoring here for 18 years, and I'd be lying to you if I said that every week was just like, woo! Man, there's sometimes months that I'm just like, I'm a Christian. Christians worship. Ah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to raise my hands because he's worthy to be praised. I'm going to listen to the sermon even though it's not for me. Because he's just good enough and he's worth it. And I'm not going to put this demand on God and say, well, you know, it's all about me. Redirect everything to make me happy. No. Jonah learned this in the belly. Don't go after worthless idols. Do what God tells you without a sign. He put his full faith and assurance back into God's hands. Jesus is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. He's the only sign that you need, and the sign is the cross. Verses 40 through 41, it says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's the resurrection story. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Now, I repeat this because I want you to know it. The imagery of the sign of Jonah is, again, Jesus alluding to the death, burial, and resurrection story. Jesus, uh, in the future, in this book, in, in, in this story, is future going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be put in a tomb. Three days later, he's going to come back, and he's going to prove that he's the son of God. And that's mirroring the same way that Jonah went into the belly of the whale. And I'm sure that everybody that saw him go in the belly of the whale were like, we ain't never seen that guy again. Right? You see a guy get swallowed by a fish. You're like, that's it. Yeah. Man, remember, remember that guy, Jonah? He was a good guy. Same thing. When Jesus went in the tomb, I'm sure that there were people there. It's like, what happened? Thought he was going to be the savior. 
He went to the belly of the earth, but then three days later, he's like, hey, I'm back and I've got a message for you. You know what the message is? Repent. It's what the message is. The reason that Jonah was swallowed by the whale is because he was thrown overboard from a, thrown overboard from a boat. Why? Because he was on the wrong boat to the wrong place. There was a storm because Jonah was disobedient. He was supposed to go to Nineveh and tell him to repent. But Jonah ran from God. So God had him sit in the belly of a whale for a few days to get his heart right. And when he got out, he went to Nineveh and he said, dudes, repent. Turn away from your wickedness. Turn towards God. And they did. And then, yeah, maybe it would have been easier if he would have just gone to Nineveh the first time. Jonah 3, 4, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. That's all it took. Jonah just walked in and said, you guys need to change your ways. God says, turn from wickedness. And the city of Nineveh goes, okay. And so here's what God did in verse 10, uh, Jonah 3, 10. Then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Do do you see the, the curve of the story? The messenger came telling them to repent. The people repented, and the crisis was averted, and the people were saved. That's why when we use the language of salvation, salvation in itself is the idea of getting saved. But if you say, I am saved, or I was saved, or you are saved, you need to get saved, it's to save you from the fiery judgment and the pit fires of hell. And so you, you turn to God in faith, you turn away from your wickedness, and then you are saved from destruction. The, the reality is God destroys the wicked. That's what he does. That's what he's going to do. There's going to be a day of judgment. And so when Jesus says you want a sign, the sign is a, uh, the message of Jonah of repenting. And if you would do that, then you would be uh, uh, averted from destruction in the same way that Nineveh was averted from destruction when they heard the message of repentance. And so then Jesus says... Those people, and now now I don't understand exactly how this works because it's not very clear. I don't know if he's using it kind of like allegorically or figuratively, or if you're going to have the people of Nineveh standing there looking at you like, no, dude, I don't think you understand. Like, we didn't have Jesus. We didn't have this, like, you know, miracle thing and walking on water. We didn't see any water into wine or healing the sick or raising the dead. We didn't see any of that, man. We didn't have no, you know, flashy TV screens and smoke and mirrors and air-conditioned buildings. We didn't have any of that. We had some guy that walked into our city and said, turn from your wickedness. And we were all like, okay. Jesus says, those people, come on, they're going to condemn you. Like, you had all of this. You had all of this. You, you saw Jesus do miracles and you didn't repent. Oh, man. Oh, think how it was for us. We didn't have anything. We didn't have any miracles at all. We just had some guy that got burped out of the belly of a fish. He said, repent. We were like, okay, that was enough for us. What's your problem, man? Why you need so much, man? Back in my day, it didn't take Jesus for us to repent. Right? Back in my day. (laughs) It's what they're going to say. As you sit here today, this is a much different scenario than what was going on 2,000 years ago. See, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus is talking 
to, to these Pharisees, he's talking about something that is going to happen, right? He even uses the figurative language of like the belly and the fish. And he's like, this is what's going to happen. And so people believe in Jesus before he went to the cross. And so he's asking them to believe before the death, burial, and resurrection. We, on the other hand, we're not waiting for something to happen. Something happened. Jesus did go to the cross. Jesus did raise from the grave. And so now we're here today, not having to put faith in something that will happen. We're putting faith in something that actually happened. And so in the same way, the the people of Jonah and probably the people of the Bible even now would be like, what, what was your problem? Like, I don't understand. It was the most scrutinized event in all of human history, knowing that it was, you know, historically accurate that Jesus rose from the dead. You had 2,000 years of church history and millions of healings and salvations and, you know, some people's lives changed and science and all this other stuff. And you still were like, nope, not for me. Really? Very, very curious that it wasn't enough for you to follow Jesus. Something did happen. Jesus did raise from the grave. Jesus did die for your sins. See, before, here's part of my salvation story is, see, before I got saved, and, and I was raised, I was raised in church, um, and, and, and we had a lot of felt boards and a lot of fellowship, which we had. And I, and I, and I knew the stories, right? Because, I mean, if you went to Sunday school, even you probably talk to somebody who, who doesn't even attend church and be like, hey, have you ever heard about that story of the party in the Red Sea? Like, yeah, I think so, right? Have you ever heard the story of Jonah and the belly of the whale? Ah, you ever heard about Jesus walking on water? Yeah, I heard about that story before. I knew all the stories. But, but what happened for me when I was a young man, and, and, and I, I don't know, maybe I was just a dumb 15-year-old that's been sustained for the last 31 years with the truth of the gospel. I don't know. But, but the decision wasn't like, are the stories true? The decision was, I'm going to actually live like they're true. I'm, 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 done, I'm done fighting God on this. Like I knew the stories and I knew God was real. I knew God was real from the time I was, in, I was a child, man. I knew it. I knew God was real. I used to pray when I was in elementary school and I, I used to read my Bible when I was young. And, and, and then I got into junior high and high school and I started living like the world. But in my heart, I knew I was living a lie. I knew that God was real. And I just, I just made a decision. I said, you know what? I'm going to stop pretending it's not real. I'm going to stop pretending that I'm not accountable to God for what I know. I'm just, I'm not, I just need to live like it's true. It's no different for many people, you know, they know it's true. They just, they don't want to believe they, It's not that they don't want to believe it. They don't want to have to live like it's true. Second Corinthians six, two, for he says in an acceptable time, I've heard you in the day of salvation. I've helped you behold. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Friend, that's a, that's a right now scripture. And right now you can receive it by faith. But, but it doesn't take nearly as much faith as it took 2,000 years ago before Jesus rose from the dead to say, put your faith in Jesus. It doesn't take nearly as much faith. Like many of you got in an automobile today to get to church, yes? Some of you are like, I never respond whatever you say. Many of you took an automobile to church today, yes? Yes. And most of you, I would say, did not pray before you got into your car and pray that it would turn on and pray that you would get here. You're just yelling at your kids and drinking your coffee. Shut up and get in the car. 
We're going to be there late, and there's not going to be any parking, and Pastor Matt's going to look at us funny for getting in late. Hurry up. <laughs> Sound familiar? No. <laughs> That's how it is at our house. Um, so if I came to your house this morning, and I was like, hey, man, let's get in your car. We'll go to church. We're like, all right, you just get in your car. Now. If I came to you and I said, hey, we're going to parachute into church this morning. I got this parachute for you. You'd be like, wait, hold on. What? Yeah, dude. No, mind you, this is never going to happen. I'm never getting it. It's a sermon example, okay? You'd have a lot of questions. Like, how does the harness work and what plane and how do we drop in and how do we know we're going to land? I've never done this before. What am I going to do? You'd have a lot of questions because it was something you had never done before or seen before. And you wouldn't just like willy-nilly like, all right, great. We're getting in a parachute. Most of you, some of you guys are like, yeah, rock on. Most of us, most of us like, hold on. You guys see what I'm saying? The following Jesus thing is a getting in a car. This isn't a parachute thing, man. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I know that, you know, two billion people have believed in him over the last 2,000 years, but me, I feel I'm a bit smarter than all those two billion people. Hmm, bunch of rubes. They, yeah, led astray. I know that some of the greatest thinking minds that have ever been born saw truth in the scriptures, but me, not me. I'm the parachute guy. No way, dude, not at all. Do you know why people reject salvation? Pride. They just don't want to admit like, yeah, dude, like that guy preached that thing a bunch of times. I just didn't want to give him the satisfaction of knowing that he got me. I didn't get you with nothing, man. It was the gospel that got you. Took me 15 years. I don't know how it's going to take you. Love a sin. A lot of times people have a pet sin. They're so afraid. Like, I know if I come to Jesus, he's going to make me give this thing up. This happened with Pastor Christian a couple, um, probably about like a month ago. He had a guy that come to his church and, and, and Christian made the call for the altar and the guy didn't come and he was weeping and, and his friend brought him to Pastor Christian after the service. And he was like, my friend wants to get saved, but he can't get saved. And, and Christian was like, why won't you give your life to Jesus today? And he was hammering up, well, tell me why you won't do it today. He was like, I was going to leave church and I was going to go sell drugs. I got to provide for my family. And Christian stayed with him like after church for like hours, just praying, come on, man, do it. You got to trust God. And he, and he threw away his drugs and he gave his life to Jesus and he yeah. went and followed him that day. Yeah. But like, that's that. Yeah. You clap for that. That's cool. But like, that's just a story of all of us. We're like, I, oh, I want to do it, but I, I feel like I need this thing. And and then he's going to ask me to give this thing up instead of just being like, I'm just going to trust God. I know he can provide for my family and I know that he can take care of me. And I know I, I just need Jesus in my life. And I get it, man. Like we, we live in a time where everything you do is scrutinized and people, I get tired of, oh, I get so tired of being scrutinized. I get so tired of people judging my motives and, and questioning what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Buying a bag of Doritos and be like, Oh, you're blowing the tide, huh? Yeah. Just wanted some nacho cheese flavor. You know? And so, like, once you become a Christian, it just offends everybody around you because you're doing something different. You're just like, I'm a Christian. I'm not doing that anymore. I can't hang out there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. You know it's going to be offensive to the people around you. You're like, I just don't need that kind of smoke in my life, man. I just don't need it. And I get it, man, because humans are weird. 
Like they hate it when somebody's different. Oh, they hate it. As many of you know, I do intermittent fasting. I only eat eight hours a day. I only eat between 12 and eight. That's all I do. I've been doing it like for almost five years now. It's my lifestyle. It's what I do. And, and so what's, what's interesting is that for people that don't know this, I'm like, hey, man, let's go out to breakfast. I'm like, yeah, dude, let's go to breakfast. And then we go to breakfast, and they're like, what do you have? I'm like, black coffee, because that's just what I eat. I only drink water and black coffee before noon every single day. And so I'll get my coffee, and they're like, you're not eating? I'm like, no, go ahead, eat. I'm like, why aren't you eating? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I just do this thing, it's intermittent fasting, I don't eat until noon, like, how do you live without eating? I'm like, well, God gave me this nice knapsack full of extra calories. I don't eat. I just draw on that reserve. There's a lot there to work on. But it bothers people. Like, why are you so different? Oh, I can't have eggs benedict and pancakes unless you're doing it too. Please just just eat something. It'll make us all feel better. And that's just not having a meal. And so when you stand up and you're like, man, I believe this Jesus story, man. I stake my life on it. My family, I don't do that anymore. And I serve and I give and I follow and I read and I just live my life. What? Why? Why would you do this? You're missing out on so much sin. So you have to make sure your heart doesn't get hardened. You have to make sure you don't, you don't miss the opportunity to follow Jesus. And I've seen it many, many times. You know, part of the, you know, part of the reason I preach the way that I do and, is that there are people that need to hear the message of the cross. And, and there has been times, and, and one day, far from now, I, I'll never be able to get into the details but there's literally people that have, that have gone to this church and sat in this church and they didn't listen to the message of the cross. They sat under this teaching for years and some of you had to sit through it for years for this one person that refused to listen. And then their marriage gets destroyed and they go back to drugs and alcohol and they go to prison and, they, and, and I'm like, so needlessly... You listened to this message for years and you chose to reject it. No one else did it. You, your heart was hardened. And so after many, many years of hearing this message, it just became wah, 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 wah. You play on your phone during the sermon and you don't worship during worship because you can't wait to go talk to people out in the parking lot because you don't want Jesus. You just want community and friends. And then you somehow think that that's going to get you to heaven and keep you from a sinful life. And then you find yourself in prison thinking, how did I get here? Why? Because you stood out in the parking lot during the preaching and talked to people instead of coming in and hearing the word of God. And then I'm the bad guy for saying like, hey, how come you ain't in church, man? I'm not trying to pad my numbers here. I care about your salvation. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what sin does. It closes the door. You go too far and, and you just can't come back. You just can't come back. But Jesus is greater. Jesus is the goat. Amen. You know, my son and I and... and uh, my son, I love my son to pieces. You know, it's just fun. We have a lot of fun. And one of the things that me and my son talk about a lot is who's the goat, right? We talk about, and it's usually with sports, right? 
And so like the goat of basketball would be, see, you guys are good church. No one said LeBron. Like, you know, LeBron people come forward right now. We will pray. Jordan's the goat, man. I mean, LeBron wears Jordan's image on his jersey, right? You're the goat. You're wearing the other guy's image on your chest. Sorry. It just doesn't work that way. Jordan's the goat, right? Uh, football. Um, it's hard because there's so many positions, but I've been converted. I Quarterback, it's Brady. Brady's the goat. Love him or hate him, man. Brady's the goat. He's just killing it, you know? He's my age out there winning. Seriously? I'm like, oh, I sat in the chair too long. My back hurts. This dude's out there winning championships. You, you can be the goat when you just have a name that everybody knows who you're talking about just by their first name. Right? Arnold. They ain't talking about different strokes. You know what I'm saying? Arnold's the goat, man. It's like boxing. Who, who's the greatest in boxing? No, he is not. Floyd Mayweather is the goat. Floyd Mayweather's 50 and 0. He has a, over a billion dollars net worth, and he's never lost a professional fight. Ali, Tyson, Frazier, all those dudes lost fights. Mayweather never lost. He's the goat, man. Money Mayweather. You may not like him. He's kind of ostentatious, but you know, based on the numbers, man, he's the goat. We're we're obsessed with greatness. I mean, even as I say this, and some of you might be like, I never heard of any of those people. Well, maybe you haven't, but there's, you know, probably for your basket weaving championship that you follow, you're like, oh man, old lady McGillicuddy, she's the best. No one could stop her, right? Like whatever it is. We're, we're, We're obsessed with greatness. We just find like it interesting. Like this person is exceptional. They do things. And that person is Jesus. He is the goat, you know, a little part is that, you know, I met Arnold when I was a kid. I met, I met Kareem Abdul-Jabbar twice. Some would say that he's the goat. I met him twice. I don't have time to go into the story, but it's kind of funny. I tried to take his picture when I was a kid at a, at a, at a, uh, at an airport. And he said, no, get away from me, kid. I was like seven. So I saw him in Laguna Beach like three years ago and I came up to him and I was like, hey man, I tried to take your picture when I was a kid. Can I get that picture now? He was like, no, get away from me. And I was like, well, he's consistent. <laughs> Same guy. <laughs> but it didn't change my life. I didn't, come, I didn't become a Karimian. I didn't become a Schwarzeneggerin. You know what I mean? I didn't, I, that's not what I did. That's not what I did. They didn't change my life in that way. They, they were just people. Yeah. Didn't change my life. Now, when I met Jesus, Amen. changed my life. Yeah. Changed everything about me. Yeah. Changed the way that I dressed, the way that I talked, the way that I lived. Yeah. Changed everything. He was the greatest. Yeah. And Jesus is the greatest. He's, he's changed everything about Western civilization. Yeah. We, we base our lives around who Jesus is. and what he, When you write a check, you proclaim that Jesus is alive because even dates are set on when Jesus walked this earth. The, the ideas that we have of like human self-worth and, and agency in humans, like that comes from the teachings of Jesus. When you're supposed to love people and treat people right, that's the preachings of Jesus. 
your, your boss and your friends, they, they live in the greatness of who Jesus is because nobody had ever been like Jesus here before. I mean, it's the reason why they're always attacking Christianity. They never attack the other side religions because they know they're powerless. They know it in their heart of hearts. They attack Jesus because he's the greatest and he demands the most and he, he wants more from anybody else. So he says here, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up against in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Now there's two parts of this statement that Jesus says. A greater one than Jonah is here and that I'm telling you to repent and I'm not Jonah, I'm greater than Jonah. And the other part that he's saying is that the queen of the south came to hear Solomon's wisdom and you know what? My my, my wisdom's greater than Solomon as well. So I'm the one that can bring you salvation but I'm also the one that can lead your life with my wisdom. I'm the goat. You ain't gonna find any better. I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than Solomon. I'm greater. I'm greater than all of them. 1 Kings 10.1, now when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. That was the story of the queen of Sheba. And so repentance and wisdom are both found. The people of Nineveh found repentance through, through uh, Jonah. The queen of Sheba found uh, wisdom in Solomon. And so Jesus says, both of these people are going to come and say, why didn't you repent? Why didn't you take the wisdom of Jesus? Why? The queen of Sheba knew it. The people of Nineveh knew it. What's your problem? And so Jesus says, I am the greatest. I'm the greatest of all times. Here's what I want to show you in Hebrews chapter one. And we're going to, we're, we're landing the plane. Okay. Amen. You guys, you guys don't even want it to land. Look at how loving you are. Hey, pastor, we can just listen to you all day long. No, you can't. It, the mind can only absorb what the backside can handle. That's just how it is. <laughs> Hebrews chapter... Some of y'all are going to get that later. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in the time of the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged out our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. There's nobody greater than Jesus and he hasn't done more for us than anybody else. He is worthy to be submitted to. He's, he's worthy to be repented to. But even more than that, his wisdom is the wisdom of the ages. Like my life is centered around it, man. My marriage, my kids, my finances, the, the way I lead this church, the way I lead my own entire life. It's all through the, the, the filter of what does Jesus want me to know? You know, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so when he says those things, what he sa- it's like John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, and the Word was God. When, when we put our faith in Jesus, we know that through this book, right, between Genesis and Revelation, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And I'm not saying you shouldn't read other things. I read other things. But the bulk of what I read is the Bible. Because there, there's nothing better than this. It answers all the questions of the heart. It answers all the question of what you should be doing with your life. And so we, we just, what do we do with that? We will, obviously, we repent. If you're not a Christian, turn towards Jesus today. 
Just give your life to him. Say, I want to live for Jesus. And if you're not ingesting the wisdom of Jesus, you just have to be like, you know what, man? I know Jesus is the goat and I'm done pretending that he's not. If he tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. If he, he tells me to live a certain way, I'm, I'm going to live a certain way. John 6, 33. Uh, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. When I'm down, that's where I turn. When I need direction, that's what I do. And so I encourage you to do that today. Jesus says the goat is coming into your life and he's saying, you want, man, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Repent. The sign of Jonah, man. That's, that's the only sign that you do. And, and, and what are you going to do with that sign? Are you going to respond to it? Or are the people of Nineveh going to rise up and say, you had enough. You had the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross should be enough for you to turn, man. And at the end, just live your life uh, realizing that Jesus is the goat, right? No one else can save you from your sins. No one else can direct your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. I'm going to invite you to become one. It's quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. If you've never made that decision before and you'd like to do it for the first time, friend, don't let this moment pass. Don't, don't let your pride keep you. Jesus is the goat, man. Come on, man. Let's live that Jesus life together. If you've never made that decision, you'd like to make it for the first time, we just invite you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the first time? ask if you've been far from God, man. You know the truth. You're like, Pastor, I said that prayer many years ago, but I've been lost, man. I didn't know what happened, but I find myself here in this church today, and I realize like, I got to come back to Jesus, man. And I want to—I don't want to pray some superstitious prayer of you. I want to give you an opportunity to change the trajectory of your life. See, I'm leaving that life. I'm going to live for Jesus. He's the greatest of all time, man. I've been denying it. I haven't been walking it, but today things are going to be different. So if you want to make that decision today, you want to come back to Jesus, would you just raise your hand? We'd like to pray for you as well. Father, we we just pray that we've responded to this message in our hearts, God, either in a big way or a small way. If there's things in our life that need to be repented of, God, we repent of them. Father, we give our hearts to you today and every single day, God, because you are the greatest of all time. We submit to your Lordship. We love you so much, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.